Bloomberg Radio across the capital, London. The futures, the FTSE rather, closing lower by 1% on the FTSE 100. I'm so tired, Charlie Pellet. Guy Johnson looking at the S&P 500. That's negative by a third of 1%. The data worldwide, a few causes for concern, I think. Yeah, it looked like the S&P bounced off its 50-day moving average and kind of came down. You also had some comments from the Bundesbank suggesting that it didn't believe uh, that, that Germany needed fiscal policy at this point. You've got to wonder whether Jens Weidmann is therefore comfortable with more negative rates. If he doesn't believe that Germany needs fiscal policy, uh, is he comfortable with the idea that Europe needs more negative rates? We'll talk about that. Um, so a bunch of things coming through. You've also had the kind of the Italian story developing. I've seen Salvini come out this afternoon. You've got... Uh, uh, five stars to Maya has just made a statement as well. Looks like that one's going to rumble on a little bit. So Charlie Pellet's shown up for work today, hasn't he? He has. Yeah, without a doubt. In. Finally back. Here's what's just going on. Today. Yeah, exactly. Not like I'm jetting off to Italy or something like that. Here's what's going on. The number of European nationals moving to the UK has fallen to its lowest in six years. The Office for National Statistics says immigration from the other 27 EU countries fell to 200,000 in the year through March as fewer people sought work in in Britain. French President Emmanuel Macron gave UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson little hope he's prepared to compromise on Brexit and said any changes to the current deal will not be very significant. A day after Johnson held talks with German Chancellor Angela Merkel in Berlin, the UK Premier discussed with Macron in Paris how to solve the Brexit impasse. And Qantas Airways wants to know if passengers can stand 20-hour flights, so it's running marathon ghost flights from New York and London to Sydney, carrying just a few staff to see how the human body holds up before commercial services start this autumn. That is the latest from the news desk. Uh, Guy Johnson, back to you now in London. I guess it probably depends on what seat you've got, doesn't Without it? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. It's a Sounds lot like the kind of flight you'd do, though, Charlie. Yeah, it's funny because I've done both. I would love to do it to say I've done the world's longest flight, which I believe is currently held by Singapore Airlines. The most fascinating flight that I took, though, another topic to talk about sometime, the world's shortest flight. I flew up to the very tip of Scotland to fly to the flight of the island of Barra. It took roughly 90 seconds to complete that commercial you just flight. go up and down. You go up, you take a right, and then you land. I mean, it's that simple. Yeah, but it was rainy and foggy. Surprise in Scotland. I hated that flight to Australia. I can't imagine. 20 hours. uh, 20 hours. I don't know if I'd prefer the break, you know. Uh, There's something to be said for that, too. And then, you know, couple of hours at Doha Airport or Dubai Airport. Mm. Yeah, but you know what, though, Guy, it's not just it's not just a couple of the hours. It's getting ready to land, getting ready to take off, killing a couple of hours, and next thing you know, uh, you know you've know, you added three, four, five hours to your journey. So yeah. I, I just wonder whether just sucking it up and going uh, you know, straight through for 20 hours is a lot easier. Than I, in economy, up. I think that would be a painful experience. I think well, that would. Like, I'm six foot two. I think it would be uh, – that would be a difficult journey. But no, I, I don't not. think it bodes particularly – if you're Emirates – I don't think it bodes particularly well. 
because yeah. increasingly these aircraft can go point to point. And Emirates' whole business model is built on that kind of hub-and-spoke model. The guy on the economy issue, I don't know if you ever use the website seatguru.com, if you've ever checked that out. No, it, tell, it, it tells you everything you need to know about the seat, whether there's an entertainment device under your uh, – uh, uh, I've used it before. They tell yeah. you which seat to pick yeah, and, and which and seat the, to avoid. And the thing I really like is when you book a window seat, I like the window seats to be able to look out oh, the window, no. and all of a sudden you find there's no window seat. Uh, there's no window in your oh, seat, I know you right? Mean. Some some aircraft. So you you look ahead on seat. These are all legitimate complaints. Uh, you know they're uh, right. So uh, anyway, uh, that said, on the twenty hour flight where you're over ocean or over clouds or you're flying at night, I'm taking the aisle seat. That's just my personal. Charlie Pellet in coach, no less. It's great to see you, Charlie. You too, mate. See I'd you expect nothing hour. less. I'll see you in twenty six minutes, or rather, I'd expect nothing more. See him in 26 minutes' time. Charlie Pellet will be back. Let's talk about that data, shall we? A quick glance at the European PMIs this morning, and you'd see an improvement. Beneath the surface, though, it is rough. German companies increasingly look like they're bracing for a downturn. The number of firms expecting production to fall over the next 12 months, exceeding the number of firms predicting an increase for the first time in five years. Orders are dropping at their fastest pace in six years. There's a lot of concern out there. And then, Guy, we saw it in the US PMIs as well a break below the 50 mark for the first time since september 2009 it's been a while what is interesting is that the regional presidents seem to be coming out of making comments uh these are the fed regional presidents are making comments suggesting that they don't think that a rate cut is required but the data from the manufacturing sector doesn't look that great um and the bundesbank doesn't believe that fiscal policy is required so that's absurd from germany that's absurd from the Germans. I mean, they are essentially in recession. That is absolutely ridiculous. And it's super cheap money. Makes no sense at all. In the United States, I think we need to sit with this a little bit longer to see what this looks like. This feels a little bit strange, and not just manufacturing. To see services come really close to the 50 line, that feels like it came out of nowhere. The labor market looks okay. Initial jobless claims look rock solid. And we talked about this on this program yesterday. I think that Germany is this great case study. Here's an economy, very open, very, very vulnerable to what happens with manufacturing, and services is still okay. If you're in the United States, you should be feeling a little bit more confident based on that, should you? If the German service sector can hold up, why can't the U.S. one? In fact, there's even more reason why the U.S. services sector The retail numbers don't tell okay. that story. The, the, the retail the numbers this week great. tells a story of the consumer looking really solid. And 70, what is it? I keep being quoted, 70% of the U.S. economy is basically linked to the U.S. consumer. I, I struggle to... I struggle to believe that that services number out of the U.S. is 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 real. I, the PMI numbers, so the ISM, the, the the market numbers tend to undershoot the 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 ISM numbers, um, and that's just a consistent theme. But it, but this does feel like an anomaly to me. Well, I think I, the market's I, seeing it that way too, Guy. I mean, I was on air when the numbers came across the Bloomberg. The equity market didn't roll over aggressively. There wasn't a massive move in the bond market. I know there was in 20, 30 minutes after the numbers dropped, but we've come back a bit. I think if you really believe that manufacturing had just gone into contraction in the United States and services was being brought down with it, you'd see bigger moves on the screen than you're seeing right now. What happens if... The market's got 50 to 75 basis of cuts priced in from the Fed. We've had Harker this afternoon. He was over on CNBC. Esther George. There are are a number of people now lining up against the idea that we should see further rate cuts. What's the argument based on? 
Well, the argument is based on that the data is solid, that, that, we, that, that even the idea of a preventative rate cut is not required here, that the data are largely still solid, particularly from the consumer, and as a result of which you really need some further evidence, particularly because of the fact that, uh, and I think this is something that we're going to hear a lot, a lot about, there is this wall of money coming into the consumer's pockets that have been driven by refinancing. And that's almost being driven by Germany more than the US. And as a result of which, you are going to see the consumer not slowing down, but picking up. What do you think would happen if they came out and said what a lot of people are thinking? We don't have the tools to address this slowdown. It's a waste oh. of ammunition. I think the US probably does have the ammunition. I think monetary policy is probably still more effective in the United States than it is in, in say, Germany, um, where I think the Bundesbank's comments are bizarre. I, I don't think we're quite there in the United States, but the risk is growing, isn't it? What I understand about the German response to all of this guy is that the Bundesbank doesn't want to use monetary policy yeah, either. that's the so amazing thing. Why wouldn't they want... What, what would Jens Weibern? I, you would have thought Jens Weibern would prefer fiscal policy at this point than, than more monetary policy. Of course. I, this, this isn't an official statement. This is two sources close to you, but that's about as close as you get as an official statement from Bizarre. the British Bank. Um, we'll carry on the conversation. Uh, we are going to get a sense of what's happening in the uh, foreign exchange markets next as well. Big move in the pound this afternoon. Um, some suggestion that maybe a, a no deal Brexit now fully priced in. We'll talk about that next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, you're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio, 10 past the hour, 10 past five in the city of London. Uh, what has happened with the cable rate today? Let me tell you, we are trading pretty near session highs. Uh, the cable currently has a 122.55 handle. We're joined now by Ken Vexler from Acumen Management. Um, Ken. A lot of people are beginning to tell me that they think a no-deal Brexit is now priced into cable or we're very close to it. How do you feel? Uh, I don't think it is. I think, well, let's put it this way. I think the likelihood of a no-deal Brexit as we sit now between now and October 31 is probably uh, close enough to 70-odd percent priced in, if you can even measure it that way. Uh, I think there still ends, you know, hangs in the air uh, an air of hope. Uh, that we may avoid it, and the market's not entirely factored that in. But certainly uh, we're, we're gearing towards that, at least as far as cable trading at the moment. What are we jumping on today, Ken? Um, yeah, good point. Uh, yesterday, to my reckoning, was probably the thinnest uh, day of liquidity we'd seen all summer. And so ironically, for all the frenetic behaviour we saw in the first two weeks of August, which is usually dead anyway, uh, we're now experiencing the absolute antithesis of that. So jumping today, uh, we had a repeat of what we heard from Merkel last night and a slight variation on the theme from Macron. It's thin uh, and people jumped at shadows and I don't think there's much more to it because ultimately I didn't hear anything to my ear that was remotely positive out of those two sources. But how asymmetrical is the risk right now? I, we're getting close to pricing in a no-deal Brexit. That means that you, get, you don't get a no-deal Brexit you kind of you're looking at a lot of upside, and it kind of it feels the very same way that uh, kind of the the way the market reacts to any kind of comment 
about German fiscal stimulus. The market just goes ballistic on that, and it may be on thin volume and all kinds of other things, but but nevertheless, it's kind of the sense in Europe that monetary policy is done, a sense in, in the UK that maybe a no-deal Brexit is kind of, as you say, almost fully priced in. Everything kind of feels like it can only go one way at this point. Well, it, I mean, in terms of the, there's a binary outcome, obviously, in, in, in that regard, potentially. But, uh, of course, if, if the worst doesn't come out to, to bear and Germany does, for instance, on, on their end embark on fiscal stimulus, then it's an easy pile-on uh, and it's an easy story to get uh, hooked on and just go for the ride. And frankly, at least as FX markets are concerned, we haven't seen that in quite some time. There hasn't been a meaty narrative that, you know, your boss won't sack you for getting involved with. Um, so should that happen? Yeah, there, there's definitely potential for upside. But, you know, how, how much probability or likelihood do you ascribe to, to those outcomes? Or a narrative big enough for your boss to sack you if you're not involved in, uh, Ken, would be another way of putting it, I guess. We haven't had a big move like that for a long, long time, a big directional trade in G10. We've been very range-bound throughout much of 2019. There was some excitement about getting a weaker dollar in the last couple of months. Hasn't really happened. Ken, what do you make of that, the lack of directional trades, big moves, big swings to get behind in G10 at the moment? I think uh, we're seeing, at least to my mind, and I could be off on this, but my my reckoning of of the market at the moment is that we're seeing two almost equally weighted countervailing forces playing out against one another. On the one hand, you've got real proper institutional sticky money that's in the in the market for you know not a quick fix and then against them on the other side you've got uh leveraged spec players and given the nature systemically i suppose of where the market is more broadly speaking not just fx but hinging on every next tweet and potential uh, escalation of a, of a trade war or, or a move out of the central bank there, there's just there's a push and pull there that ends up keeping the market fairly stagnant and and that's where we are. So occasionally you'll see a fast money move because things are light or, you know, someone's edgy. But on the other hand, you know, real money will see that as either a cheap or an expensive opportunity to get involved um, and, and act accordingly. So as far as FX is concerned, we sort of, unfortunately, here we are. Ken, you're going to be sticking with us. Full week of action ahead of us with Chairman Powell coming up tomorrow. The end of the week, but there wasn't really much going on Monday, Tuesday and into Wednesday. Things really get going now. Friday, Chairman Powell. Saturday and Sunday, the G7 in the beautiful Biarritz of France. We'll be talking about all of that coming up on the program. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAV Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow. A rough close in London on the FTSE, down a little more than 1% on the FTSE 100, off by a half of 1% on the DAX, and we shave a tenth of 1% on the S&P 500. We lose a little bit of weight off the NASDAQ, down by around about a half of 1%. In the FX market, the story shaping up as follows. The euro doing absolutely nothing. The outperformance coming 
point from cable. Sterling positive by one full percentage point. And in the bond market, treasuries all over the place today. Yields now higher by three basis points to 2.1%. Your 10-year, 161. Your 2-year, 160. And the spread between the two of them, just a single basis point. Some inversion earlier in the session, some inversion yesterday as well. So the bond market all over the place, the FX market all over the place. But we are lacking some real direction in foreign exchange. And that was part of the conversation we were having with Ken Vexler of Acumen just a little bit earlier on in the program. So, Ken, let's continue that conversation. Many people believed that rate differentials were going to narrow and the dollar had to weaken in that environment. That hasn't happened. Why not? Uh, Because I suppose in technical terms, no. uh, Rate differentials uh, haven't narrowed as such because ECB has yet to do what they potentially might or might not. Um, Look, I think ultimately uh, a lot of that was priced in. A lot of uh, the behaviour now is based on the fact that the market is anticipating that if uh, a central bank cuts, how much more of there is is there to come of of that cut and why are they cutting, how dire are things really out there. So... Um, and, and we're seeing that in some part with the U.S. dollar. Um, but honestly, the rate differentials, as far as FX are concerned, matter until they don't. And at the moment, it was just a, a passing blip. Ken, what I hear, though, a, a lot, particularly out of the emerging markets, is that with the with U.S. Treasury still delivering a positive yield, and, and FX hedging is really important here, I, I appreciate, but nevertheless, there is this flow into the United States that is hard to see ending. I presumably, with with kind of where we are with rates, the Fed's expected to cut a couple more times. ECB is going to go kind of substantial in September. I, that's not really going to change. So sorry. So I mean, well, no, the situation isn't going to change at all. So the only the only way by which we could potentially see now in the near term a weakening dollar, you know, of, of any sort of real. Uh, capacity is for the Treasury to step in and intervene in the most you know, literal sense because the jawboning that we've seen so far out of uh, the U.S. administration has yielded nothing. Um, and now I think the market really wants to see, well, you know, is there anything behind this? And if so, let's have it. Otherwise, you know, we don't have a real genuine reason to be selling the dollar here. So, okay, give, if the dollar stays... This is a debate that John and I have been having. Is Is the dollar the problem or the cause or, or, or a result of what is happening at the moment. There is an argument, and people like Hans Reddick can make this argument, that the dollar is too strong. Liabilities, a lot of global liabilities are in, in US dollars, and as a result of which, effectively, you're getting a tightening on large parts of the global economy. The other argument around this is that... Um, the U.S. consumer is strong, the dollar is strong, U.S. consumers are going to buy lots of goods, and as a result of which, that's good for the emerging markets, that's good for the rest of the world. Where do you sit in that? Um, I, I suppose I look at it slightly differently. I mean, the reason the, the dollar is made to look all that much stronger is on the back of the fact that we're seeing other central banks, both in the developed and emerging space, are being forced to cut. Now, in part, they're cutting proactively, uh, and in, cut, and in part, they're cutting reactively to what they perceive as, uh, you know, a, a global slowdown on the back of an escalating trade war. And some places like the Europe, for example, uh, had at best a, you know, a faltering recovery or a stable recovery, which now has been obviously turned on its head on the back of uh, overall circumstances. So, 
you're then seeing on the other side, you're seeing the Fed being pressured to react because obviously the dollar is going to look stronger in relative terms. And you have this vicious, vicious cycle that sort of, you know, ends up repeating on itself. So, you know, here we are. So I, I don't see much cause for, you know, a meaningful dollar uh, weakening on the basis of just the, that simple framework. Can you bring up something really important that I don't think is talked about enough? We talk about monetary policy easing and throw all these central banks into one bucket, but quite clearly there's a difference between being reactive and being preemptive. And I think we can say to a greater degree relative to the ECB, the Federal Reserve is being preemptive. The ECB has been very reactive. I don't know why this is taking so long. This slowdown has been going on for how long? A year? Just what is going on in the European Central Bank, Ken? Look, I mean, I think I think it's nothing more complex than there was an initial desire and wanted to see how long they could stretch it out to see whether they could actually begin at some point on a path to normalisation of rates. Because don't forget, they're still set, you know, at negative 40 points. So, uh, yeah, I mean, as I said, the recovery in Europe prior to, you know, I suppose October of last year was, was faltering at best, but there was some some, you know, snippets of it. So I suppose the ECB, knowing that there was only so much more that they could really do, wanted to hold off. So as a consequence, so yeah, they are being reactive. And, you know, I mean, is it a case of game theory? How do you play a man with uh, a mobile phone and Twitter and the ability to escalate a trade war and send the world into a spin? I mean, that's honestly, that's where we're at at the moment. Yeah, I clearly Trump is keeping everybody off balance. I just want to come back. We've got a minute left, Ken. Career risk. How much career risk is out there at the moment? These markets, as you say, are kind of balanced out on, on every turn. How much career risk there is, is there out there? How big would you say the chances are of a substantial move in any asset, in any direction? Blimey. Um, probably on par with where we were a few months ago. Look, I suppose, yeah, there's money to be made, but it's how much patience you've got to sit with it. I don't know. I don't know that the career risk right now is any more pronounced than it would have been, you know, in the last 12 months. Let's put it that way. Just because, yeah, we're, we're sort of in the same situation, but there's slight variation on the theme at the moment as we were a year ago. Hey, Ken, great to catch up with you. It's been a while. It's been too long. Always great to get your insight. Ken Vector there, joining us from Acumen Management. Next up on the program, a whole lot more on Jackson Hole as the annual Fed get-together kicks off in Wyoming. Tomorrow, a speech from the Federal Reserve Chairman. Today, we heard from Esther George. We will give you some of that in the back half of the program. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to Cable. We are live on DAB DAB Digital Radio in the London area. I'm Guy Johnson. I'm in London. John Farrow's over in New York. Quick market check. What do you say? It's a classic. Well, the song or my introduction? Classic. It's a classic song. We're not going down this road. We're not yeah, going exactly. down this road. Thank you, guys. Johnson. I actually don't know what you're talking about. Whenever yeah. you guys get wound up about this, it's a no. great song. No, it's a great song. But listen, he guy, he's winding you up. Don't take the bait. When Keep anyone's on going. in the mood, if you play this song, they'll feel so much better about life. If it you can reminds get angry, me of bad weddings. You can get angry with no, that song. And great right. pubs. Great pubs. Yeah, people sing along to this in pubs all yeah, the time, along that, with Sweet Caroline yeah, as well. You know, and just, Foundations, Build Me Up Buttercup. People just love that music. I oh, know, it's a good song, what can I tell you? It's 
just great, yeah. great music. What's yeah. the story behind uh, uh, it? Uh, I'm no, not going to now you're really going but, down that road. Right, exactly. I'm just wondering, did we take care don't, of trade? Don't take the bait, take, Charlie. What, what's take that? The bait. I'm not going to take the bait. No, but listen, come on. Just a little, uh, we love it when you no, come no, on and tell no, a story. No, come I'm, on. I'm not telling a story. But listen, I'm just. obviously we've taken care who, of trade. We've taken song? care of the Federal Reserve. Dexy's Midnight Runners. What's in the name? What's in the name? I have no idea. And I'm not. You know why? There's a guy out there that hates me, and he's going to start tweeting a tweet storm because I'm telling the story again. So I'm not. I'm not going there. I Absolutely not going there. No, I love it. Yeah, exactly. So we've taken care of trade. We've taken care of the Federal no, Reserve. Really. Is that is that, That's uh, what you're here for. Uh, well, there we go. All right. Listen, let me get to some news because there's a lot going on. Got to begin with Brexit. We took care of that, presumably. French President Emmanuel Macron has given UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson little hope. He's prepared to compromise on Brexit, says any changes to the current deal will not be very significant. A day after Johnson held talks with German Chancellor Angela Merkel in Berlin, the UK Prime Premier discussed with Macron in Paris how to solve the Brexit impasse that threatens to propel the UK out of the European Union on October 31st without the protection of a transition period. Boeing making headlines. Cowan analyst Kai Von Rumer says the recovery timeline for Boeing's troubled 737 MAX aircraft looks intact, adding that the FAA certification flight could be four to six weeks off. And Apple is said to be readying a clutch of new hardware for the coming weeks and months, including pro iPhones, upgrades to iPads, and its largest laptop in years. Sources say the California-based tech giant is planning to announce three new iPhones at an event next month. Come on, Eileen. That is the latest from the news desk. Great song. It is a great, a great song. song. Jonathan Farrow, back to you, mate. I'm trying Alaska Airlines out a little bit. The I'm, old, I'm actually uh, sitting here in casual clothes. The old, I know. I've never seen you looking so good. A T-shirt. Uh, yeah. he, he's got trainers legs, on. Legs never... are up because I've got a sprained ankle. How would you do that? Go uh, climbing mountains? Yeah. Yeah, I've sprained my ankle. Unbelievable. Well, it's the old Virgin America, believe it or not, that you'll be flying on. So today, I understand. So. Exactly. Very Enjoy. Cool. Have a great flight, no matter where you are off to. And, Going to uh, wine country, which is very nice. You know what's crazy about wine country? It is. Yeah, well, no, in California, California. guy. Come on. But, but the, the on. crazy thing is, you get people who are driving to these wineries to taste wine and then getting back in the car. That scares that's, me. That's dangerous. It there is, there it will is. be you Uber, spit it out. Uber all the way from me. Oh, that's sinful behavior. Yeah, I, I agree with. I, I agree don't like that. that. Yeah. I d- the spit bucket is not one for me. Drink the stuff. That's what it's there for. I, oh, totally I, I thought agree. I could entice you into a kind of Franco-American battle on on kind of because the president's got an issue with French. Yeah, he does. He does I yeah, was, I, I was thinking it. There's a I great movie on that, by the way. Forget the name, which makes this conversation slightly useless. But sideways? it's um, <laughs> is it sideways? Is that the movie? I think it might be sideways. Where the where the British guy turns up in America and accidentally comes across some great Californian wines, and then they do the then they do no, the contest. I, it might not be sideways. Sideways is definitely about wine. And they do a contest, don't they? California wines against French wines. Maybe. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it for a long time, but that sideways is definitely about wine, I think. But yeah, no, the president's got an issue with French wine. No, sideways is the one with Paul Giamatti in, isn't it? Yeah, I think you could be, I'm just going to Google it now. Yeah, I think you could be right. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. That's All right. one. Uh, again, getting back to what I said before, I guess we've taken care of Brexit. Taken you want to keep this Reserve. program no, serious? I, I don't do, you? I do, and I'll tell you why. why? I need the practice because I'm filling in for you and Guy Johnson on, on a Friday. big day tomorrow. Chairman tomorrow. Powell, uh, yeah, that's a massive yeah. day. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you no know, pressure, lots to talk Charlie. about. Not nah, no pressure at all, but just lots to talk about. So. You have a great time. You too. Listen. So this a- is basically why we're in the situation that we're in at the moment. John and I are demob happy. 
and and you're not. You're all kind of like we're just wound set, up. I know, I know, I know. We're I setting know. the bar really low for you. Right, right so exactly, exactly. And you, you guys, you you got one foot out the door, and there I am, all business thinking about what we're going to be covering tomorrow. I actually think this G7 this weekend is going to be really interesting. I do have to say, so I, you know, I envy you to some degree to preview that tomorrow. I think it's going to be really fascinating. There is no script for this it, it, whatsoever. It, it's funny you say that. When I'm on holiday and the markets are going nuts, I, I, I'm thinking, I don't want to be in Las Vegas. I want to be back in the office, which, you know, uh, so I understand why you may feel that I way. I felt that once last week. I did feel like I was missing some of the action. But the G7, I think, is going to be really interesting. I talked to uh, Bob Horn a little bit earlier on. He used to work with several administrations, and he used to be the Sherpa at the G7. He used to go there and take notes for the administration all the way back to 1975. And I said to him, to what degree has things really changed? To what degree were things scripted before compared to how they are now? And he said that the outcomes really were probably about 50% 50% scripted. I'm paraphrasing here. But essentially, diplomats would get together and have predetermined outcomes. They'd know what their leaders wanted, put them into a room together. Great. Pretty much know the outcome before you've even had a meeting or before anyone's even shaken hands. Now, completely different. You have an agenda. No one follows it. There's a series of bilaterals. Everyone goes off into the corner. We know what they want to talk about. No idea what the outcome's going to be. You have a news conference with someone like the President of the United States who now goes completely off the cuff. You have no idea where it's going. And I think this makes it really, really interesting. We're at a delicate point. They're not even having a communique. So there's no communique. The global economy is reaching a delicate point. And typically what you'd expect to see is the seven leaders get together, one message, full force, get behind it. We're not going to have that this time. What about the why to all of this? Did Hormats address why things have changed? Does it come down to who is in the White House now? Yeah, I think it comes down to that. But it also comes down to outcomes. I think for many people in the administration, outside the administration, have been frustrated with these multilateral get-togethers that haven't generated the kind of results that, especially this administration ultimately wanted, which was to get the Chinese to open up their markets more aggressively and much more quickly. And there's a belief that, okay, we tried this. It didn't work for a long, long time. Now we're going to do it our way and we're going to do something different and try and break some things along the way and hopefully get a better outcome. I don't know how effective that's going to be. It's certainly a different approach if you can conclude the status quo wasn't effective. I just think that when you get to a delicate period in the global economy, You want these multilateral get-togethers to work and to be effective and to be efficient. And quite clearly, this weekend is going to demonstrate that that's not what we have at the moment. And very briefly, because I know you got other topics to cover, but just let me suggest... A minute left, All right, so so one of the great things, too, about these get-togethers is, yes, while there may or may not be agenda, in this case, global trade, clearly number one, I would argue, but it also gives world leaders to talk about some of the other things privately and quietly and address issues such as Brexit, address uh, issues such as Chinese expansion in the the Far East. It It gives leaders a chance to communicate on those Well, you would hope that we could have one voice, one message on that this weekend on what's happening with Hong Kong, and I'm not sure if we're going to get it. Charlie, enjoy the program. My pleasure. You too, sir. Have a great time. Drive the car carefully. Put your foot down. Take some corners at high speed. Enjoy yourself. And play great music. We will. Who is this again? Lexi's Midnight Run. Very cool. Come on, Eileen.
This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, you are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio in the London area. John Farrow's over in New York. I'm Guy Johnson joining him here in London. So the main events over the next couple of days. Well, there's two main events. We were just discussing the G7. That's going to happen over the weekend. But tomorrow it is Jerome Powell's turn uh, to upset the markets. Can he avoid it? That is the big question. Uh, a number of the regional Fed presidents lining up against the idea that we should see further rate cuts. The market has got 50 to 75 basis points priced in by the end of this year. Joining us now, Andy Sinko, editor and blogger for Markets Live. Andy, any way that Jerome Powell can avoid being market moving tomorrow? I don't want to be Jerome Powell. If anyone ever asks Guy, just tell him, no, Andy's not at home. Um, I, I don't see how it's possible. If And and I don't mean that he's going to upset Mark's markets tomorrow. What I really mean is that um, whether it's tomorrow or next week or next month, uh, you know, the Fed has put itself in this position where it can't get out of it. And you were just mentioning these Fed regional presidents. We had two dissenters at the last meeting against a rate cut. It really, we had three because we had another Fed president come out this morning, Patrick Harker, saying that he was pretty much against a rate cut, but he gave in and he followed the Fed chairman's lead. And and if you update him now to today, he says, well, I don't think there's any need for a rate cut. So now you have three members of the Federal Reserve Committee saying, yeah, I just don't think there's any need for a rate cut. On the flip side, the market is just braying for a rate cut, and not just one. You know, they'd love to see 50 basis points uh, at the moment. Um, you know, Jim Bianco is out with a column this morning, uh, the famous bond fund manager, saying Powell needs to side with the markets when he speaks tomorrow, and he needs to come out and forcefully say that they're going to cut rates and, and keep on cutting in order to get the, the yield curve uh, back to having a positive slope instead of being inverted. So, you know, if you're Jerome Powell and you're trying to, <laughs> you know, herd the cats at the Federal Reserve, while at the same time trying to appease the markets, you're never going to win. Someone's going to be unhappy. And uh, if he tries to go slow, the markets will goad him into more action. And if he tries to go too fast, the Fed might revolt under his feet. So good luck with that. It's a tough position, stuck between a rock and a hard place. I find the Jim Bianco comments to be really interesting. I've known Jim a long time, and I know several of us around here are pretty close to Jim. But just the thought that if they go quicker, that the curve would steepen, I'm not entirely convinced of that, and I'll tell you why. I think we've got to a point where people are questioning the efficacy of Federal Reserve rate cuts. And if you believe that when the Fed cuts rates that ultimately what it will mean in the future is that growth and inflation expectations pick up. By all means, what you'll get is that standard bull steepener off the back of a series of rate cuts. But if you start to question the efficacy of rate cuts, all you do is take the rate on the short maturity and push it out across the whole curve. Rates low for a whole lot longer and a much shallower rate curve. And I caught up with PGM a little bit earlier and put that to them. Andy, and, and PGM were thinking along the same lines that maybe it doesn't matter how much you cut, how quickly you cut, it will just lead to a flatter curve, a shallower curve, and you won't get that steepness you used to get. What do you think? That is clearly a risk. Um, to go back to Jim's point, he, he is essentially arguing that the Fed is behind the curve, and if it could get back ahead of the markets, then it would end up with this steepening. But, uh, but you know, you're right. If you start to think down the road, you know, let's say they took out 100 basis points. Well, now we're down to about 1% on the Fed funds rate. 
again, well, you're right. Well, what the hell are you trying to tell people? That that tells me that things are not getting better anytime soon, and the rest of the world is already in the in the dumpster. So here we go, following them down. Andy, if we find ourselves in a situation though where monetary policy is done, fiscal policy takes over, I, there's a lot of debate about kind of just spending ourselves out of this hole. How would the bond market react under that scenario? What would the curve look like in that scenario in 30 seconds? Oh, boy, you're going to spend a lot more money, and it's not going to be effective. Probably lower rates. See, we, see where we keep ending back up, lower and lower rates. Andy Cinco is going to stay with us. We're going to wrap up what we're going to get this week, this weekend, and next week from a market perspective. That's coming up. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow. This week took a little while to get started. A classic summer trading lull to some degree throughout much of the week. Volumes were lighter. We were waiting for the bigger events. As the week grew older, those events started to pick up. Yesterday, the Fed minutes. Today, PMIs from either side of the Atlantic in the United States and in Europe. Interestingly, it was Europe that provided the upside surprise to the United United States that delivered the big downside surprise. Going into tomorrow, where we hear from the Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, as the annual symposium kicks off. The host every single year, of course, is the Kansas City Fed, and the Kansas City Fed President Esther George sat down with Bloomberg's Michael McKee. Take a listen to what she had to say about the outlook for monetary policy. Can you see at this point any scenario in which the committee, though, would not cut rates? Where I'm focused is on how are we performing relative to our mandates. So when I look at where unemployment is, when I look at where inflation is right now, I think we're in a good place as long as the consumer can continue to pull the economy forward. Obviously, we have some weaker segments uh, in our economy, but uh, to the extent that our forecast of growing at around 2% holds, then I think uh, we're okay. Well, there is a feeling that uh, to a certain extent there's a third mandate for financial stability. If you don't cut rates, we could see a, a market tantrum as we saw in December. Does that concern you? Uh, that could happen, but there are also financial stability concerns on the other side. Easing policy is not a free choice. Um, it, remember, pulls forward demand. It can make leverage more attractive. And I think depending on where you think you are in the business cycle, it can create more risk. So, um, again, our mandate focused on unemployment and price stability is probably the best place uh, to focus in my view right now. Tell me what you're seeing in your district and what business leaders there are telling you. So business leaders um, express a fair amount of uncertainty and concern about knowing uh, where export markets are going and what their opportunities are going to be. On the whole, though, they continue to be optimistic about the outlook for the economy. And that, again, I think is premised on a consumer that um, is experiencing wage growth, has a safety net of savings uh, behind them, and remains confident. I think if any of those change materially, 
that could change uh, what we're hearing, too. But you're not seeing any signs of weakness at this point? Not yet. We saw the consumer confidence numbers slip back a little bit. And again, not surprising given some of the headlines and and concerns about market volatility. But I think between now and the time of the next meeting, we have a number of uh, data releases that will be good barometers for us of where the economy is. Do uh, business leaders tell you that they feel there's some pent-up demand out there that if the uncertainty went away would lead to higher spending? I think a number of our businesses um, have put some plans on hold. And so I think to the extent they see more clarity, they see opportunity, uh, they may move forward with those. Again, I think not knowing when that might happen has caused them to hold back a little bit. But is that a problem monetary policy can solve? Is the cost of capital anything that's figured in their decisions to go on hold? No, I think it's a very important point. And those business contacts will tell us our problem is not the cost of credit right now. Um, and monetary policy cannot resolve the uncertainty that's holding us back. Well, do you think the Fed is acting because it's basically the only game in town? Well, I think central banks in general have been... Uh, Push to the forefront around uh, doing what they can. And, of course, central banks should do what they can and do what's appropriate. Um, I think for me, as I look at where the economy is, it's not yet time. I'm not ready to begin to provide more accommodation to the economy without seeing an outlook that suggests the economy is getting weaker here. Well, hiring has slowed. It's still healthy. Are companies struggling to find workers at this point, or are they cutting back or limiting their hiring because of the uncertainty about where the economy is going? So the reports we get so far are that businesses are still having a hard time finding people. They are still wrestling with uh, wages and thinking about how to compensate a workforce uh, that they need to be productive. So I think that still is one of their largest concerns, is keeping the workforce they have um, and figuring out how to compensate them in a way that will keep them. Well, you know, my next question is going to be, where is that wage pressure that we should be seeing that you've been looking for for so long? So I think we are seeing higher wages. Uh, it's true that for a number of years, even as the unemployment rate came down, we were not seeing a pickup in wages. I think over the last couple of years, you have seen that pickup. And I think as productivity has gotten stronger, so the recent releases around that suggest that inflation is not uh, going to pop up in a way that will undermine the worker's ability to realize some gains around that wage growth. Well, then let me ask you about how you look at monetary policy, because you were an advocate of raising rates to get ahead of inflation. If you're not ready to cut rates, are you happy with where rates are, given that inflation is lower than anticipated, and would you be happy to leave them at this level for quite some time? So I think that's going to be a process of judging how the economy unfolds. So I think where rates are right now relative to the unemployment rate and inflation suggest we're at a sort of equilibrium right now. And I'd be happy to leave rates here absent seeing either some weakness or some strengthening, some kind of upside risk that would cause me to think rates should be somewhere else. Uh, that was Esther George, uh, the Kansas Fed president, talking to Mike McKee, Bloomberg's Mike McKee. Jerome Powell is on deck tomorrow. That is definitely going to be the main event. Uh, people watching to see exactly what he says in terms of the future direction of rates. We were talking earlier on about Jim Bianco suggesting that uh, the Fed chair really needs to be on side with the market. Remember, the market is looking for 50 
probably 25, but 50 possibly at the next uh, meeting, uh, and certainly looking for 50 this year, possibly as high as 25, uh, sorry, as 75. Uh, the S&P currently back to flat. We are trading at 29.22. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.